Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for a good morning. We thank you, God, that this, this morning started off strong with such strong sunshine early on. We woke up to that, God, and we thank you for it. God, we thank you that you have given us a church and a people that matter to us, and we can gather here together and look to you. Lord, we want to worship you, and we pray, Father, that from our hearts, from the depths of us, from our insides, God, with all that is in us, that we would truly look to you and focus on you and worship you. God, we ask your blessing upon us now as we look to your word, as we uh, turn to your word that you've given to us, God, we ask that you would speak to us that you would teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn to the Bible to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use Pew Bible, the black Bible's there, page 934. Mark chapter 12, page 934. We're gonna finish the chapter today, four little verses. And as you're turning there, I do want to say thank you. It's been quite an eventful week for us, our church and our family. And thank you for all the support and for all the prayers. We are hoping we get through this message now. With Mark chapter 12, we're going to pick up where we left off. And just last week, we saw uh, Jesus continuing to challenge the scribes. You remember that in Mark chapter 12, um, in Mark chapter 12, they have been coming at Jesus. They've been challenging him, asking him questions. They're uh, wanting to stop him, get, get him in trouble. They want to mess him up. They want to distract him. They want to prove that he is not uh, God, that he is not the savior of the world. And so they have come at him with all these different questions. And then finally here, Jesus kind of turns it on them and he asks them a question. And in asking them a question, they uh, don't know how to answer. And in asking them a question, he is able to show who he really is. And then he warns them, beware of the scribes. And now in our passage today, he's gonna continue in that direction, warning against the scribes, really warning against false religion. We're gonna look today at verses 41 through 44, but before we do, I want to open up with telling you about people watching. Do y'all know what people watching is? Where you just sit down somewhere and kind of chill out and take a break and you look at everybody else. In, in people watching, you're, you're in the mall or you're uh, at a park or you just sit down somewhere and you like to sit there and watch everybody. And it's, it's fun to do that. You know, the world is full of people and all sorts of different people. And in, in, in doing that, you notice there are a lot of unique people out there, right? And it's nice to be able to do that. And perhaps you've done that before and maybe you can do that. I just want to remind you to not... Not be so judgmental, for you might look at people and think they're odd or different, but they're looking at you thinking that you're odd and different too. But in our passage today, we see that Jesus is a people watcher, and that's not a stretch. If you look at verse 41, it says that he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus is a people watcher. It says he sat down. Of all things, he sat down during the offering, if you will, right? We are, we are kind of taught to keep your head down and don't pay attention. Don't look around to see we just took up an offering. I hope you didn't look to see what somebody else put in. I hope you weren't trying to glance at anybody's offering to see how much they put in. You know, that sort of thing. But Jesus, of all people, is watching, it says. Unique passage that we're going to look at here today. 
But what this shows us is that Jesus, who is God, here is watching people, and I want to remind you that he always is. Jesus is truly a people watcher. Not only does he see us, but he sees all that we do. Not only does he see all that we do, he sees everything. This is a truth that we see many, many times in the Bible, but it's good for us to be reminded of it. You need to live if you want to live for God. You need to live very much so aware that God sees you. He sees everything. And not only does he see everything that we do, but get this. He sees everything inside of us too. He not only sees everything that we do, but he sees everything as for why we're doing it. And y'all, this is the heart of what it means to be a real Christian. I think the heart of religion is what we can do, but the heart of Christianity is knowing God and what he's done, and therefore our hearts responding back to that. Let me go ahead and tell you if you've never heard it before. Life lived for God is not nearly as much about what you do as it is about the why you're doing what you do. Some people volunteer, some people don't. Some people give a lot of money, some people don't. Some people love kids, some people don't, right? Some people teach, some people don't teach. Some people love to be outgoing and in, out in the, in the community, interacting with people, some people don't. Well, the why on all of those things tells us whether somebody is focused on the Lord or not. Rarely is it about what you're doing, but rather why you're doing what you're doing. Going to Sunday school and being involved in a small group is good, but why you're going or why you're not involved is really what's the issue. Being here this morning to sit and listen to a long-winded preacher is really good on your behalf. But you know what the honest truth is? Why you're here and why your heart is liking this or not liking this is really what is the issue. God teaches us this, that it's about the heart. In Psalm 139, David, writing this psalm, says, O Lord, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. David was aware that God knew him through and through, knew where he was, knew what he was doing, knew what he was thinking, knew what he was about to say, and David was aware of that. And we see that as a good sort of sovereign Lord, Father in heaven. I'm living in light of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. You remember the verse before this, Hebrews 4.12, is the one that talks about how the word of God is powerful and the word of God is able to get down inside of us. And, and the word of God getting inside of us, it says, is, is able to discern the intentions of the heart. It's talking about the word of God. But then in verse 13, he says this, for no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, certainly to some levels, every one of us lives uh, aware of what other people are thinking, right? Right? Like when I have to uh, run up here to pick pack to pick up some diapers real quick, I usually don't wear my pajamas. I'm aware that I might bump into one of y'all, right? 
So there is some extent to where we're aware of that, but what Christianity knows and what we as a church really want to make very clear to the whole world is it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what somebody out here thinks about me. What matters is what God knows about me. And Christian people are those who haven't come with our goodness, but instead, of those, or instead are those who have come to God saying, God, I know you see me. I know you know me. I know you know my flaws. I know you see my sins. And Father, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? And those people know, they know, they know, they know that God hears that prayer of repentance and knows that that God still loves them and sent Jesus to die for us to forgive us of our sins. That God, upon us admitting our sins, God loves to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from any and all unrighteousness and to make us his own people. We are aware that it is the opinion of God is the only opinion that ultimately matters to us. Again, I'm still not wearing my pajamas to pick pack, but I'm aware that God's opinion of me is the only one that matters. Because he is God. He made us. He's the judge. He is the good Lord that reigns over his creation. Well, in our passage today, just a short passage, a very simple passage. It is hammering home this point. But it does it, it does it uh, around the idea of money and giving. And I know that everybody in the world hates to hear sermons on giving. Nobody likes to hear a preacher on that. If you ever talk to people that don't go to church, they will quickly tell you that they're one of the reasons they don't go to church because it seems like churches and preachers are always talking about money. Well, when you walk through the Bible as we do and you start at Mark 1-1 and go through it, eventually we have to cover it at some time. And so here we are today. But you're going to like the way Jesus talks about giving. He's going to pat you on the back today with your giving. Not at all because of the amount. Jesus is going to make very clear the amount doesn't matter to him. Because I want to remind you that Jesus has all the resources one could ever possibly need. Jesus is never low on money. Jesus is never having to cut back. Remember that great promise that the cattle on a thousand hills are his? He's not short in any area of budgeting. God looks at the heart of his people, looks at the heart of a giver. So read with me, if you will, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
Jesus is a masterful teacher. We have seen that throughout the whole Gospel of Mark, and yet we see it again. Very simple, small teaching object lesson. He observed something, and now he's explaining it. He's good at teaching. I want to give you three points today from this passage. Number one, the Lord sees the gift given. Number two, the Lord sees the heart of the giver. Number three, the Lord sees the system given to. The Lord sees the gift given. The Lord sees the heart of the giver. And number three, the Lord sees the system given to. Let's begin with number one, the Lord sees the gift given. This is fascinating, is it not? God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a people watcher. And not only does he sit down during the time of the, watch, uh, during the, time of the offering and say, uh, I'm just going to check people out, but he's also noticing what people are giving. Isn't that something? Right, we're not supposed to stare, right? If you're a people watcher, say you're sitting in a mall watching people, or you're in a, in a park watching people, if somebody knows you're watching, you're going to try to turn your head and at least act like you're not watching, right? We do that all the time. I'm keeping an eye on them, but I don't want them to know I'm keeping an eye on them, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Jesus is here keeping an eye on them, and he's paying attention to what's happening. And he's aware when somebody rich is about to give, and you're kind of wondering, man, I wonder how much they're going to give. I mean, just imagine if you could get a couple rich people involved in giving, imagine just how much that would affect things, Right? That's what Jesus is observing, but he's also observing when a poor person comes up. And notice what it says. It says, verse 41, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came with two small coins, totaling about a penny. Wow, Jesus is aware of that. I hope you're not aware of anything that anybody gives here. I don't want you to be like Jesus in this regard but remember Jesus is not just a man he's God he's the God man and he's aware Jesus sees the gift given isn't that fascinating I honestly don't know what any one person here gave today or gives and I like it that way and I know that y'all like it that way y'all don't want me to know giving is supposed to be private right I don't know what my parents give at their church. I never have known. I've never asked my dad. I've never, I've never looked. Since I'm up here, I'm usually not the one who puts the money in the offering plate, and I usually give it to one of my children and ask them to put it in there. And even when they do that, I have taught them, lay it in there upside down so that nobody else sees. We're just kind of private that way. But you know what this passage has reminded me? God sees and if I should have given a little more or if I should be giving a little less, God knows. God knows exactly how, how much I've given, and I, I want you to hear that today that God does. And I know that we've got all the reasons in the world of why we give so much or why we give so little, but I want to remind you here today in this passage that Jesus is watching. And Jesus sees it. The Lord sees the gift given. Now, why do I point that out? Because here's why. Not just with our money, but with our effort, with our devotion, with our lives. When certain people are watching, it changes how devoted we are. Isn't that the truth? That's just honestly the truth. 
When the boss is away, it changes things, right? When the boss is in the office, we certainly are more attentive and more focused. When coach steps out of the gym for a few minutes, practice lightens up a little bit. When coach walks back into the gym, it changes things. When you know that somebody's watching, we had a kid on our baseball team this year down at the youth league and cool kid. I loved coaching him. Great guy. But I got calls during the season from his parents saying, hey, we're having trouble with him at school. Uh, Here's what we want to do. We want to use baseball to discipline him. Uh, So you want to run him or bench him or or do whatever. We want to discipline him through his baseball. We we really need him to learn. And so I started talking to him about, hey, you're getting trouble at school. Tell me about what's going on. Your parents don't like like this happening, so you you need to get it together. And He listened, and that was going well. And then we had a little bit more trouble later on. And I said, your dad's here. I see him over there. He said, no, he's not. He didn't come today. No, I said, yeah, he's here. And once I told him that his dad, he didn't realize his dad was there. But once I told him that his dad was there and pointed out to him, no, your dad is over there. He's sitting there watching. It changed the kid's demeanor. He went from being a, kind of disrespectful, cut up, not paying attention. He went to being a kid who kind of got himself in line. Dad, the one who would discipline him, watching changed things. Church, we are the children of God, followers of the Lord Jesus. He sees our every move. He knows our every intention Ought it not to change how we act in tough times, who we are in private, way we treat people when we're treated wrongly, how we respond to tough situations? Ought it to change how we are and how we act knowing that our God sees everything? Don't you remember in the Sermon on the Mount When Jesus is teaching on worrying, do you remember what Jesus said that was a comfort to those that worry? Your Father in heaven watches over the flowers of the field and keeps them clothed. He watches over the sparrows and he makes sure they eat. How much more will he take care of you because you know he sees? You remember that comfort? God sees everything. It ought to be an motivating, encouraging, driving factor to us. Our God is attentive to us. And it ought to carry over into everything. Jesus is sitting here in the treasury, opposite the treasury, watching the giving. The Lord sees the gift given, number two, but he sees the heart of the giver. Look at verse 43. When this happens, so he's just sitting there and he observes the rich people are putting in a lot and the poor, one single poor widow lady puts in a little bit and Jesus all of a sudden sees this as a teaching moment. He's like, guys, come here, verse 43. He called his disciples to him and he said to them, hey, listen, truly I say to you, that means, listen up, that means this is serious, that means this is a teaching point. This poor widow has put in more. Guys, that's a statement that doesn't really make sense 
if our hearts and motives and worship and faith aren't real. If heaven's not a real place, if the kingdom of God is not a real thing, if a father in heaven is not a really true concept, if we're not the children of God, if those things aren't true, then this is a bunch of baloney. This doesn't make sense. But people are dropping off perhaps hundreds of dollars in the, in the offering, thousands of dollars in the offering. I mean, I, I don't know how much it is, but it says large sums from rich people. I told y'all just a few weeks ago about the quarterback of the Oakland Raiders who just signed a contract for $150 million, and they said, what are you going to do with that money? He said, I'm going to go buy my wife a few gifts, and I'm going to tithe to my church, and then I'm going to keep being normal. I don't know what tithe looks like off $150 million, but I'm going to think it's a lot, right? A lot. I mean, a whole lot. And Jesus sees that happening, and he calls the disciples over, and he says, there's a penny in there. She gave more. In what world, in in what theme is that more? Is that a category in your life and in your heart? Is that a priority to you? You ever said to yourself, oh, my $5 doesn't really matter, so I'm not going to give it? You ever said to yourself that I don't really have anything to offer? There's so many other people who pray better than me or serve better than me or happier than me or talk people better than me, so my little part doesn't contribute. But you got to understand that in God's economy, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need good preachers. He doesn't need smart people. He doesn't need wealthy people. He doesn't need anything. God has everything he needs, and his work, his growing the kingdom happens simply through the advantage of his message. Doesn't matter who's saying it, doesn't matter how they're saying it. The advancing of his message, humbly used by the power of the Holy Spirit, is what God uses. And God sees the heart behind the giver. The disciples must have been so shocked and taken back. He says, Guys, truly I tell you, this little lady has put in more. This poor widow. Like, y'all, our church is full of widows. I'm not going to call you poor widows, but our church is full of widows. We have a lot of widows here. And I don't know whether they're poor or rich, but I'm telling you that the very person that the world may be thinking is insignificant or not important to the, to, the, to the power of the work of God or to the key to the work of God may be the person who is putting in more. We had a trying week for our church. We had a funeral. We had a preacher miss the funeral. We had hospital stay. We had all that stuff going on this week. And there were a lot of need for prayer. And I had a lot of texts of people say they're praying for me. And, and, and I appreciate all, all of the prayer. But I'm going to bet, I'm going to guess, that some of the people who prayed the absolute very most this week for all that was going on were the widows at home. They did more. Didn't look like they did more. I didn't get a single text from many of them. And vowed it neither. But I wonder if in God's eyes, they did more. God sees the heart behind the giver. Now, just a couple observations. He doesn't say that the rich people giving a lot are, are doing anything wrong. He doesn't say anything about them. See, a lot of times in this passage, we can go the wrong direction. He doesn't say anything bad about them. He's just pointing out what this lady has done. He makes the point in in verse 44 that they give out of their abundance, she gives out of her poverty. I mean, you know that. 
if somebody's got millions in the bank and somebody needs a tank of gas for 40 bucks, that's no sacrifice. Now, it's awesome if somebody gives money to fill up somebody's gas tank, but it's just no sacrifice, not hard. The hard part about having millions is trying to discern where do you give what you're able to give. That's what's hard. But the giving of it's not very painful at all. What's hard is if all you've got is $5 and you're trying to give $5. What's hard is trying to give right now, but I've also got to get lunch for the kids today. Do I get lunch or do I give in the offering? That's what's hard. And what Jesus is pointing out is which one takes more of an effort, which one takes more of a sacrifice, which one takes more of a a commitment or or more of a devotion. But the point here is God sees the gift given doesn't matter as much as the heart behind the giving. The Lord sees the heart of the giver. Thomas Watson says this, a proud man complains that he has no more. He doesn't have any more. A humble man wonders why he has so much. It's a good thought, isn't it? A proud man man complains that he has no more. A humble man wonders that he has so much. It's all about perspective, is it not? And with God, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. And so if we stop there for a second, we've got to ask ourselves, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the amount. I'm trying to say, kind of, sort of, God's not concerned about the amount. But I want to ask you, what does, what does God think about your heart? With your time given, with your serving, with your attention to needs, with your giving, what does God think? Is your heart in the right place? I once heard a preacher say that you can tell a lot about a person if you get to look at their checkbook. You can tell a lot about a person and their priorities by looking at their bank accounts on what they give to. God looks at the heart of that and causes us to be able to ask why. Do you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, loving money? Money is not the root of all evil. It's often misquoted that way. Money is not a problem. Money does seem to be uh, the number one reason why people get divorced, fighting over money. But money's not the problem according to the Bible. God says that the love of money is the problem. Us wanting it or wanting stuff too much. I want to remind you that in 1 John chapter 2, it says the love of the world is the uh, lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride in possessions. One would wonder, is that even a real category? Are people prideful about their possessions? This is a sign that we love the things of the world. He says, do not love the world, and he gives us that as an example. All of these things test our heart. They they challenge our heart. What is your heart with where you're at? 
Can you say that with your, with your giving, the giving of your life and the giving of your time and the giving of your energy and the giving of your, your friendship and your relationships, the giving of your home, the giving of meals, the giving of, of, of anything, is it worship to God? Is God honored in it? Can you say that? Do you feel that? Remember, when the Bible teaches us, as it does, for us to be givers to the, to the work of God, as we are supposed to do, that's why we take up an offering, because the Bible teaches us to do that. The Bible warns us to not, please, do not give begrudgingly, because it's about the heart. See, there, there's a real sense in, in, a, in, a, in a worldly situation, or like if you're a school or you're a program or, or, or you're a hospital, that, hey, we don't care how we get it, but just the more money, the better. We don't really care if you're maxing out a credit card to put money in. There, there, are, there are places where it doesn't matter. We just need money. But I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm here speaking to you all, for you all, on behalf of you all, as one of us, that's not us. We, we don't need it. Will it empower things? Certainly. Would more money cause us to do more for missions, more for the community, more for the schools? Absolutely. Would it cause us to be able to hire more staff and have more people committed to preaching the word? Absolutely. But we don't need it. God's got us. God is working in our hearts. As our hearts are focused on him, God will provide. So a good challenge for us here today is, where's your heart? Where is your heart? Have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? An honest question is, have you prayed about what you give? Or do you try to make it where you're not? You don't even really want to think about it. Out of sight, out of mind, let's start get this out of here. Because this passage is letting us know, not only did he see the gift, but he saw why we gave that gift. Now, now's as good a time as any for me to just say, if you're not a member of the church, if you're not a follower of Christ, member of the church, wanting to belong to this, this work and this church, then we do not expect you to give it all. Regardless of how much you have or what intention you had to, to come and give money, we do not expect you to at all. We understand that, that God has taught us from his word that we have responsibilities and commitments and we want to be giving to the work of God. We believe in the work that we give to. Certainly you wouldn't ever give to anything that you don't believe in, but we believe in it. So if you're not a member of the church, don't feel any pressure at all to give. But here today we are reminded Jesus sat down and watched. And in his observation, it wasn't the rich people or it wasn't the large amounts that impressed him. It was the two pennies because it took a sacrifice. Now, one of the things that happens in the world is whoever gives the most can usually get the building or the room or the place named after them, right? That's how America thrives now. Next year in the NBA, for the first time ever, NBA teams, pro basketball teams, will be able to wear a patch, a two-inch patch, two-inch little square patch on their jersey for a sponsor. First time ever in the history of pro basketball. Soccer has been wearing sponsors for a long time. NASCAR wears thousands of sponsors on their, on their uniform, uniform. But basketball is going to it. 
And some teams are paying 20, or some businesses are paying $20 million if they will wear a two-inch patch that says their name. Now, they do that, and they take bids, and whoever gives the most, it's real simple. A team says, whoever gives the most, will put your name on there. But places do that too, right? We have the KFC Yum Center. Y'all know why it's called the KFC Yum Center, right? We have Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, and you know why it's called Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, right? And you go to the zoo, here's the Louisville Zoo, we take the kids, and they got the new big spot for the polar bears, and it's got all these sponsors over it. And if you gave this amount, your tag's about that big, and you gave this amount, your tag's about that big, and you gave this amount, your tag's about that big, and you gave this amount, your tag's about that big, and it tells how much you've given, right? And you know what? Sometimes churches do that. Sometimes churches do that. You go to a church, and you can see, like, the, the Josh Green Gymnasium. If I gave the most... That happens. Now, I want to tell you that that's not necessarily bad, but I do want to say, what if you built a new building for a million dollars? And what if somebody came forward and said, you know what, I'm going to pledge a quarter of it. I'll give $250,000. And it was a rather easy thing. They just wrote a check. But what if a poor widow came and said, I so believe in the work. I so believe in the work. And me living off my social security is this. But I can eat peanut butter and jellies for the next month. Here's $100, Josh. Get it done. Reach the world. Preach the gospel. Impact lives. Tell them about Jesus. Now, The $250,000 probably gets the name on there, right? But from God's perspective, one of those took a sacrifice. One didn't. Now, both are good. Again, Jesus is not saying anything bad about the big one. Jesus is just wanting you to get that God's concerned about the heart. Where's your heart in your effort toward living for God? Do you have a dirty conscience? Do you have a clean conscience? Have you sought the Lord? Are you aware that God has sought you, that he's seeing you? Lastly, number one, the Lord sees the gift given. Number two, the Lord sees the heart of the giver. And then lastly, number three, the Lord sees the system that we give to. Now, here's what I'm trying to say here. This is a unique passage, is it not? There's not anything in this passage that he is going against or that he is really applauding. It's a unique passage. Many people think that this passage is all about giving. But it's not as much. My third point is that the Lord sees the system that we give to. If you've been here and you've been following along, this would be a really odd place. Listen, this would be a really, really odd place for Jesus just to all of a sudden say, hey, you guys listen up. I'll teach y'all something about giving. Y'all, he's a day away from being beaten and put on trial and killed. This is the very end of Jesus' life. If you'll look, chapter 13, he starts talking about end times. And chapter 14, he is betrayed by Judas. He is arrested. And there he goes. He's going to be killed. We're at the very end. 
This is not the place necessarily for Jesus to start talking about giving. What has he been talking about? He's been talking about hypocrisy. He's been talking about uh, 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 religious leaders that have problems. He's been talking about people who are false teachers and lead people astray. He's talking about people that represent God in the wrong way. He's been hammering that and hammering that and hammering that and hammering that. And so my final point today is for you to be aware of really what's happening here. This little lady is down to being a poor widow and she doesn't have much. It even tells us at the very end that out of her poverty, she's put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This passage perhaps is not so much about giving, but rather about the system that they're giving to. This was a flawed system. This was a bad system. This is the system, folks, where just in the previous chapter, listen to this. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple where giving happens and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Listen to this. But you have made it, made my house a house of worship. You have made my house a den of robbers. You are taking money from people when this should be about worshiping my Father in heaven. If you go over to what we looked at just last week, chapter 12, verse 38. Jesus says, beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. And look at this, who devour widows' houses. We've got to see a little bit of a connection there. In verse 40, he says they devour widows' houses. In verse 42, he points out a poor widow victim to the system. If you're hungry or you have a need and you're down to your last two coins, should you be giving it to the system? It's a good question to ask. I don't think we know enough about the story to say no. And if you're trusting in God and giving all thing you've got, I, I'm not going to say that's a flaw. But at the same time, maybe she should have went and taken care of herself. This passage doesn't commend her for her faith. It doesn't tell us that she was faithful. It doesn't tell us that she was a believer. She could be uh, very much so lost and not knowing the Lord, and now she's a victim of the system. What God is teaching us is that the Lord sees the gift, the Lord sees the heart of the giver, but the Lord sees the system that we give to. In other words, we don't take it lightly to pass an offering plate. In other words, you're not giving to us or to the church. You're giving to the work of God. And you should, we hope, we ask that you with great prayer and great consideration understand what you're giving to and trust wholeheartedly in what you're giving to. This is a warning. This is a warning of the scribes. And perhaps we're deceived that the rich people giving a lot of money aren't going to miss it. That's a real thought, right? You've spent money on something before and it didn't work. 
You've put a dollar in a Coke machine before and you've pressed, you've pressed it and the drink didn't come out, right? And you like, oh, well, it's just a dollar. Just a dollar, you've said before, right? But this lady didn't put in just a dollar. She didn't walk away. She put in her money thinking that giving to them and giving to that was what she was supposed to do. Better hope the system's right. Better hope that's what God wanted her to do. Better hope that was the right thing. Listen to John MacArthur's words on this. He said her outward action is simply an evidence of what that system did to widows. You want blessing of God, you give your money. She's destitute. She's got two cents left. She says to herself, either I take my two cents and buy my last meal, or I do what they tell me and send them them the money, and God will bless me. He says, that sounds like a TV preacher. That sounds like a system. He says, send me your money. If you're down to your last penny, send me your money. Open the floodgates. God will bless you if you send me your money. It was a den of robbers, and they were stealing it from the worst, the lowest, the most destitute, the worst off. This isn't to teach us about attitudes in giving or amounts in giving. This is to teach us about corrupt religion. Beware of the false shepherds. Beware of the false teachers who take the last coins, listen to this, who take the last coins out of the widow's purse to fill their coffers on the pretense that that kind of giving is the path to blessing. That's the prosperity gospel, and it's not the gospel. God looks at the heart. And as Christians, we are those who know it. We understand that whether it was $100 or whether it was two pennies here today. Y'all ever notice that when we take up the offering plate that sometimes there's change in there? You ever thought to yourself, like, why why is there change in there? You ever thought, praise the Lord, there's change in there? Are you aware that you don't know who gives what, but you also don't know why? Who gives what? We are those who understand that. Y'all, this is the truth. Life, listen to me, life is spiritual. You remember a couple sermons ago I preached that, and that was one of my points, that life is spiritual. Do y'all remember that? It might have been all the way back at Easter, actually. But life is spiritual. Meaning, the way it looks or the way it seems isn't most important. God sees, God knows, God cares, God is aware, and he loves us. And the true good news is that Jesus, knowing who we are, knowing that we struggle with our finances, knowing that we struggle with our desires and our our want to, came and died for us, died in our place, died because of our sins and died for our sins. And in doing that, overcame death, rose from the grave so that whoever would believe in him, run to him and say, oh God, forgive me. God would purify their heart, cleanse their conscience and make them new, give them a fresh start, set their lives on God, make them understand that life is spiritual. 
It is so strong how much we're controlled by people's opinions and people's thoughts and the, the ways of the world and all of that. But God is one who sets us free from that and sets our understanding on life is spiritual. As we parent, as we battle through marriage, as we grow in life, as we work our jobs, as we try to save our money, as we try to contribute to society or the community and make the world a better place, we are fully aware God's watching and we're living for him. But that spiritual understanding only comes through knowing Jesus. Folks, whether it's your giving or whether it's your life, Live it for God. Live it for God. God's way is the best way and all other ways let us down. God is watching. God's watching what we do. God's watching why we do it. And God also watches the system. May we be set free by the goodness of God through Jesus. That he forgives sins. And he can be pleased with our faith in him and our hearts toward him, even in our giving. And may that be the case for us. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you, God, that in a, in a passage like today, the, the model could be a poor widow. God, thank you that in the midst of a, a religious conversation and a teaching to the disciples and even here at a church in 2017 in Louisville, Kentucky, it could be the poor person that is honorable, that is admirable. God, thank you so much that you don't love us or deal with us based on how much money we have. God, thank you that you've reminded us yet again that it's about the heart. It's about the heart, it's about the heart, it's about the heart. And so God, we pray Get our hearts right. God, convict us of our sins. Break us down. Break us down so that you can lift us up. God, we thank you that you see everything. And we pray now that we would run to you, finding comfort from a good God that loves us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.